WHYY and BillyPenn.com, it's hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm your host, John Stolness from The Good Fight. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Well, coming up, a rotten week in Los Angeles. You talk about a demoralizing loss by this baseball team. Coming off of a great series against Houston and winning four series in a row, they laid an absolute egg in Los Angeles. And Bryce Harper's return to the lineup. Couldn't think of a worse way for Bryce Harper to return to the lineup than with the way they played against the Dodgers over these last three games. And we'll talk about it here over the next few minutes, and we'll also digest what Bryce Harper did in his first couple of games back. Uh, We're going to talk to Leo Morgenstern of Fangraphs, formerly of The Good Fight, now on to Fangraphs. And he's also the editor of a new baseball website called Just baseball so you might want to make sure you you check that out as well and also run down the april award winners around major league baseball too plus i will have your stat of the week but before we jump into the show i want to remind you guys about this saturday's tailgate event at the Citizens Bank Park Jetro Lot, Lot MN. Myself, Justin Clue, Liz Rocher will be there. Uh, we'll have all kinds of fun stuff going on from 3 to 6.30 in the afternoon, Saturday at Citizens Bank Park, just ahead of the Phillies game against the Boston Red Sox. And there's going to be lots of cool stuff going on. BP Quizzo trivia questions about the Phillies. There's some WHYY swag that we'll have there, some cornhole and Listen, free beer and food. What what could be better? Beer from Evil Genius Beer Company. We'll have hoagies from the brand new Nipotina in South Philly and pizza from Slice Pizzeria. That is all at the Hidden Season Tailgate Saturday afternoon at Citizens Bank Park in the Jetro Lot MN. Free food, free drink, trivia questions. Even if you don't have tickets to the game, you could still show up and just hang out. Although I would imagine you could get standing room only tickets to the game while you're there uh, if you want to come by and see us and and we can all hang out. So uh, looking forward to seeing you all at the tailgate, all of you who can make it free tickets. Just go to my timeline at John Stolness. You can find uh, the Eventbrite link so that you can get free tickets for this hit and season tailgate going on our very first tailgate. And we are extremely excited about it. We hope to see you all there. We've been looking forward to meeting so many of our listeners over these last few years, and now we've got a chance to do it. So despite the way this team is playing we're gonna go out and we're gonna do a tailgate uh, ahead of the uh, the Phillies and Red Sox game on Saturday again 3 to 6 30 in the afternoon all right let's talk about this series against the LA Dodgers and really what a what a brutal three days of baseball it doesn't get any worse than what we saw really it doesn't we say that a lot it doesn't get any worse than what we saw in these three games against the Dodgers 36 runs allowed by this pitching staff. That is, that's gross. 36 runs in three games. That's an average, again, if I'm doing my my quick third grade math, 12 runs per game in these three games against the Dodgers team that was a little over 500. This is not even, this is not last year's Dodgers or the previous year's Dodgers or the previous before that. This team is not as good as it has been in years past, but the Phillies went into Los Angeles against this Dodgers team and laid down. Absolutely. I mean, it was it was disgusting. The Phillies allowed double-digit runs in three straight games for only the second time in 64 years. That was according to a tweet by Matt Gelb. I mean, 
that seems hard to believe, actually, given how many bad teams we have seen over the years with with the Phillies and all these rebuilds. But the first time in sixty, the second time in sixty four years, they have allowed double digit runs in three straight games. On Monday, they got destroyed thirteen to four, not even close. In t- on Tuesday, they lost thirteen to one, and had two hits in the game. And then in the ultimate crusher. The Phillies actually jump out to a 5-0 third-inning lead with Aaron Nola on the mound. They get to this rookie starter that was making his Major League debut uh, for the Dodgers. Uh, you know, is they teed off on him pretty well. It was probably their best, one of their best pitching prospects. But uh, this this right-hander named Gavin Stone, um, they lit him up for, for five runs in, in three innings, and then the offense just stopped. And slowly but surely, Aaron Nola allowed a couple of home runs, a couple of big hits. It was uh, five to three when he left the game, but there was a runner on. Um, Sir Anthony Dominguez allowed an inherited runner to score, so it was five to four going into the eighth inning, and the and the offense just got shut down from innings four through eight. Eventually, uh, a defensive miscue by Edmundo Sosa at third base on a hard hit ball. Um, Jose Alvarado came in in the eighth inning and, and really got hit around a little bit. Uh, but a ball that should have been caught, the Phillies should have been out of the inning with a 5-4 to four lead, and instead it turned into a 6-5 Dodgers lead. Uh, the Phillies did, to their credit, scratch across a run in the top of the ninth inning, all of them with two outs. Started by Bryce Harper, who in this game, his second game back, this is really what we should be talking about, went 3-for-3 three three with... Two singles, a double, two runs scored, and two walks. A very encouraging second game back after the first game was not terribly encouraging with three strikeouts, a lot of swings and misses. The other at bat in his first game back, a little dribbler up the third baseline. And we'll talk about Bryce Harper a little bit more here in just a second. But the problem is that in the bottom of the ninth inning, after the Phillies managed to tie this game up on an RBI single by Bryson Stott with everything coming with two outs against a Dodgers closer that throws 100 miles an hour, Craig Kimbrell comes in in the bottom of the ninth inning, allows a single, gets an out, allows a stolen base, intentionally walks Freddie Freeman, uh, allows another walk, and then Max Muncy hits a walk-off grand slam for a 10-6 Dodgers win. And this is about, you know, sometimes... These East Coast teams, sometimes the Phillies, you know, they go out west and it's just a nightmare from start to finish. It's a disaster no matter no matter any way, however you, you and this is one of those times. And I really thought after that series against Houston, they'd won four series in a row. They got to two games over 500 with the the second win in that series on Saturday against the Astros and you know they lost a tough one on Sunday night. It was not a bad loss on Sunday night baseball with Bailey Falter on the mound. 4-3 loss. They played Houston really tough in that game. Uh, it was. I think they were feeling pretty good about themselves as they headed to Los Angeles, and they had every reason to have their spirits up getting their leader back, getting Bryce Harper back in the lineup. And then you come out, you lose 13-4 to in the first game of the series, and then 13-1 to in the second game. You get, you get outscored 26-5 to in the first two games of that series, and then you jump out to a 5-0 lead in the series finale. With Aaron Nola on the mound... And he can't shut the door. Now, he left with the lead, and the bullpen did the rest of the damage. But when you've got your, when, when you're, Aaron Nola is this team's co-ace. I think that's how they would view it. And when he gets a 5 nothing lead, he's got to shut the door 
especially you're on a three-game losing streak. You're trying to salvage this last game so the flight home isn't a nightmare from from Los Angeles to Philadelphia. You're 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 trying to get you know you win that game, you feel a little bit better about yourself. Yeah, you got destroyed in the first two games of this series, but you steal one and prevent the Dodgers from sweeping. You get back to 500 and you you come home for a, a big series against the Red Sox at Citizens Bank Park, feeling a little bit better about yourself. You can just say, "Hey, we did we didn't have it those two." games our pitching let us down but in this series everything was a problem the starting pitching was a problem the offense was a problem the bullpen was a problem everything was a problem and this is not how it was supposed to be when Bryce Harper came back we, we already talked about the Edmundo Sosa defensive miscue in the game on Wednesday you had Nick Castellanos misplaying a fly ball a single into a triple to start the seventh inning and that's really what ended Aaron Nola's day it was a little blue pit to right field by Chris Taylor. Castellanos couldn't get it, and then he misplayed it, and it rolled into the corner. And, you know, Taylor's got a triple, and, you know, and then he scores on a sacrifice fly that gets them to within 5-4. to four. Kyle Schwarber is out in left field now. With Bryce Harper as the DH, Kyle Schwarber is going to play defense out in left field. Most of this season, all but eight of his starts have been as the DH. He did not look good in left field. Brandon Marsh did not look good in center field. Brandon Marsh misplayed a couple of balls. And and Marsh's defense has not been very good so far this year. He was supposed to be, I mean, he's not Oduel Herrera bad. You know, he's not he he's he's not to that level, but he has he has not been as effective defensively as you would have hoped. And so the defense let them down on Wednesday and really let them down throughout the series. The offense, again, just having so much trouble generating offense at times. I mean, we've saw in some of these games against the Astros when they can group together hits, it's 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 great, but they're not getting the big multi-home runs. Um, our stat guru at the Good Fight Schmenkman put this out on Twitter, and it held through uh, through Wednesday's games because the Phillies didn't hit any more homers in, in the game on, on Wednesday. The Phillies have 35 total home runs this year, which is 12th in Major League Baseball. So it's not at the tippy top. But they're in the top half, just outside the top 10 in terms of total home runs. You're, you're thinking at some point that number will increase. And certainly with Bryce Harper coming on board, you would think that that number will go up. 25 of their 35 total home runs have been solo home runs. 25 of 35, including Trey Turner's solo home run that was the only run of the game on Tuesday. That is 71% of their home runs are solo home runs. That is the fourth highest percentage in Major League Baseball. They also have nine two-run home runs, which is 13th in Major League Baseball. The Phillies only have one three-run home run and no grand slams this year. That is tied with the Royals with only one of those combined. KC has only 20 home runs on the season, so the Phillies have by far the lowest percentage of their home runs as three-run home runs or grand slams. So remember, the Phillies have 35 homers. Kansas City only has 20 home runs, so you can you can understand a little bit more that maybe only one of them would be a three-run shot or a grand slam. But so, so the Phillies are 29th in the average number of runs that score on their home runs, 1.32, ahead of only the Kansas City Royals. Second last in terms of the total number of their runs scoring on home runs. Remember in the playoffs last year, almost all of their runs scored on home runs. And certainly all most of their 
their memorable hits, their memorable moments came on home runs. There were a few exceptions. Bryson Stott hitting the RBI double against Spencer Strider just ahead of Reese Hoskins' three-run home run. You had Bryce Harper lacing the uh, game-tying RBI double to, or no, it was the go-ahead RBI double to left field um, after Reese Hoskins tied it in game four of the National League Championship Series. So there were there were other there were other runs that scored that were not by home run game one of the world series. The first five runs all scored um, on, on hits that were not home runs, but this team was built to hit dingers and they're not doing that so far. And we see that when you can't get home runs, your offense can go into sleepwalk mode. And in the first two games of this series, they absolutely did that. And in the series finale on Wednesday, after the third inning, and they got they got up five nothing. The offense just shut it down until they were able to scratch out another run in the ninth inning. But this is easily, I think, I think this is the most demoralizing series of the season, and the only other one I can compare it to is the this the season opening series against the Rangers, when coincidentally, the Phillies opened that series against the Rangers with a five nothing lead and Aaron Nola on the mound, and Aaron Nola blew that lead. And they went on to then get blown out in the two games after that one. In this series, the Phillies got blown out in the first two games of the series. And then in the series finale, got a 5-0 lead for Aranola, which the team then couldn't hold on to. So a little bit of a mirror image between the Texas series and the Los Angeles series. So what we, sh- we should be celebrating Bryce Harper's return. That's what that's what this podcast was supposed to be about. I had all these different podcast titles ready to go because <laughs> I really did think we would be talking about Bryce Harper's miraculous return to the lineup. And after again going over three with three over over four with three strikeouts in his first game back on Tuesday, he was outstanding at the plate on Wednesday. He keyed that ninth that uh, ninth inning rally with a with a two out single to get things rolling. Went uh, three for three, like I said, with two walks, a double, two singles in in there. I mean, it was just tremendous to see how quickly he was able to kind of get back on the horse and get get back in the lineup and and playing baseball again, man. And, you know, when he scored that run in the ninth inning, he was motoring around third base. You could tell that he was going to score no matter what. I don't know if he would have, you know, thrown, you know, used his, <laughs> you know, slid head first in, into home plate and uh, risked messing up his elbow. Although, again, of course, he's been cleared, so I don't think he can mess it up. But, um yeah, he he was a big he was a big part of things here in the game on Wednesday, and that's one of the reasons the Phillies managed to score six runs. Was Bryce Harper played an integral role in all of them, hitting at number three in the lineup. And the Phillies did alter their lineup with Bryce Harper back in there. They did not go with the lineup that I suggested. They moved Bryson Stott out of the leadoff leadoff spot, put Kyle Schwarber back in there. Schwarber with an 0 for five day on Wednesday, one strikeout, two left on base. Kyle Schwarber now hitting 191 on the season. Trey Turner in the two hole, he went one for five, now down to 259 with his batting average. Nick Castellanos continues to play well. And he was a big part of that ninth inning rally, too, with a really good at bat uh, in the ninth inning. He went one for four, two strikeouts, but hitting 309. Bryson Stott still hitting 304. He went one for four with two RBIs. Again, a couple of big knocks in this game. Alec Bohm has really been struggling as of late. Uh, to hitting 269 on the season. He went one for four, but missed an opportunity with two runners on in the ninth inning to put the Phillies ahead. 
as it turns out, if you're going to give up a grand slam in the bottom of the ninth inning, it really wouldn't have mattered all that much. But Brandon Marsh now hitting uh, hitting pretty far down in the order. They got him down in the uh, the seven hole in this game. Uh, he went one for three, hitting 326 still, and then Edmundo Sosa hitting 294. So you, you got guys with good average, and the Phillies have a good batting average, just the, the power hasn't been there. But Kyle Schwarber up at the top of the lineup now, still struggling. 191 batting average on the season. He's hit some home runs, but really that's all he's done. But it's so much like last year. Really, this is his, this start to his season just looks a whole lot like his start to last year. And I think we're all waiting for June to roll roll around sooner rather than later. But um, the Phillies now finish this series two games under 500 after getting to two games over 500 now in the midst of a four-game losing streak um, with Bryce Harper back in the lineup. Uh, the Phillies sending down Jake Cave to AAA to make room for Bryce Harper. And that made sense. You don't really need an extra left-handed hitter. We mentioned him as being the guy that would that would probably end up going down. Um, mentioned also the, the Phillies uh, gave up uh, double-digit runs uh, in three straight games and how, how rare that was. The Phillies gave up 13 or more runs in back-to-back games Monday and Tuesday. Only the fourth time in the last 85 years they've done that. The other times were in 2015 when they did that to the Diamondbacks. 1993 when they lost... 13 to 2 and 15 to 8 to the Giants and then in 1979 when that when it happened to the Dodgers. I don't think it's a coincidence that it happened to West Coast teams and I don't know if these were all road games or not, but I would bet. I would bet that these were all road games with the team playing out west. The last time it happened before those four times was in 1938. Just a couple other things to note here in these first two games. Really, the biggest problem that this team has right now is the inconsistency with the starting pitching. Everything starts with the starter. When your starter struggles, you really don't give yourself a chance to win. Now, in the game on Wednesday, Nola wasn't terrible, but he also wasn't too great. But when six and a third innings gave up four runs, um, only struck out five, but he did leave with a lead. It was certainly a better performance than what we saw from Taiwan Walker and Matt Strom. Taiwan Walker, a little concerned about this guy. Four-year, $72 million deal he agreed to with the Phillies in the offseason, and the early returns have been ugly. He was flat-out awful in allowing eight runs in three and a third innings on eight hits, three walks, and six strikeouts. He allowed three home runs on Monday. None of them were cheap. And that pushed his season ERA to 6.91 in 28 and two-thirds innings. He's averaging just under five innings per start. Now, Walker says he's not hurt. And this is despite feeling tightness in his forearm after his previous start. But he and the medical staff say there are no issues. And he says in the game on Monday that he was just trying to be too cute. Trying, you know, trying to dance in and out of the lineup instead of challenging guys with his pitches. The velocity seems to indicate that he's not hurting. His fastball velocity was right where it should be. In fact, it was the strongest it's been all season by like a tenth of a mile an hour. He's really getting hurt with his sinker and his slider. He just can't locate his breaking pitches. He can't find the strike zone. He's falling behind hitters. And then he's not a guy who gives up a lot of home runs. He hasn't given up a ton of home runs this year, but he has given up four in his last three starts. As he continues to fall behind hitters, he has to come across the plate, down two to one in the count, down three, one in the count, and he's getting lit up. Perfect example on Monday night, walk, walk, three run home run. It's just 
that's just the way it goes when you're struggling, and Taiwan Walker is riding the struggle bus. He is really having a hard time. The Phillies desperately need him to get right. Ranger Suarez is expected to come back soon. He's making another rehab start this week. They're hoping he'll go four to five innings. I think they want to get him up to 70 or 75 pitches, and if all goes well, the reporting is that it's likely he could rejoin the rotation not a minute too soon. When he does rejoin, it looks like Matt Strom will be going back to the bullpen. The Phillies all but admitted that. We mentioned that on the last podcast that I did with Liz. His last start, if it was his last start in the starting rotation, it was kind of a clunker, his real first clunker as a member of the rotation. Uh, The Dodgers hit him pretty hard, but he wiggled out of some early trouble. Still only lasted three and a third innings, gave up six hits, four runs, one walk, five strikeouts. It uh, pushed his ERA up to 3.38 on the season, but it's hard to get mad at Matt Strom. He's been one of their best starters so far here during the early part of the season. But the Phillies seem reluctant to let him stay in the rotation for the reasons that we've mentioned on the previous podcast with the fact that he's only thrown 60-some-odd innings the last three years coming into this season. So you can understand why they want to use him in the bullpen, and they really do believe he can be a weapon, a two-inning weapon, two-and-a-half-inning weapon, you know, two and two-thirds, not two-and-a-half, you can't have half an inning, two-and-two-thirds innings, three-inning guy every every two or three days to shut teams down or to pick up the slack from when a guy like Taiwan Walker might have a little bit of trouble, but the game's not out of reach. Matt Strom's not going to be a mop-up guy. That's not what he's going to be used for. But if you if you need somebody to get you through the, you know, the latter part of the sixth inning and the seventh inning of a really close game, Matt Strom could very well be your guy. And that would lessen the load on Gregory Soto, on Craig Kimbrell, on Sir Anthony Dominguez, and Jose Alvarado. Those guys struggled a little bit here in this Dodgers series, and you wonder if that is because of overwork. The starters are not going deep enough into games and they've got to get more length out of those guys so you don't burn the bullpen guys. Matt Strom going there helps alleviate that problem a little bit because it really gives you a fifth high-leverage reliever that you can use so you don't have to pitch Sir Anthony and Jose Alvarado on consecutive days all the time or three straight days or whatever it might be. So um, at the end of the day, just a brutal series against the Dodgers, and you got to flush it. Because you're still only like two games out of a wild card. There's, you're not out of the playoff race at this point in the season, no matter what happens. It's just ugly. It's going to put everybody in a bad mood. If the Phillies have an off day on Thursday, so everybody's got to live with this series and linger with this series for another 24 hours than you would ordinarily need to do. And then by Friday, it'll be Bryce Harper's first game back in Philadelphia. And the crowd is going to go nuts. You hope, I really do believe the the team will get a boost from coming back home. Bryce Harper uh, playing in his home ballpark. And I think we're going to see something special on Friday from him. He never disappoints when he gets in front of the home crowd. I don't know if it's going to be a home run. I don't know what it's going to be. But I do think we're going to see something special from Bryce Harper on Friday in his first game back at Citizens Bank Park in the lineup. Well, joining me to talk about this tire fire that we saw in Los Angeles with the Phils is Leo Morgenstern. He's an old friend of us, uh, old friend of ours from uh, when he was a writer for The Good Fight. He's now moved on to bigger and better things. He's over at Fangraphs, and he's also the editor of a website called Just Baseball. Uh, he's, joining us to talk, he's joining us to talk about the first month of the Major League season and uh, help us digest what we saw here in Los Angeles over these last three days. Leo, welcome to Hitting Season. How are you, bud? Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm doing good bit of a disappointing series but just excited to have Harper back so that isn't upset 
Yeah, I mean, that is a, that is an understatement, uh, kind of a disappointing series. Like, this was a demoralizing series from from where I sit. And, it's, you know, it's not to say that, you know, alarms need to go off. We don't need to, you know, the sirens don't need to be wailing. The season's not over or anything like that. It, it is disappointing that this was Bryce Harper's return. Like, I was anticipating this podcast being a celebration of Bryce Harper coming back, especially since in the series finale, he was on base all five times with three hits and two walks. He keyed the ninth inning rally that, that tied the game up at six, six. I mean, it was really, really after the opening night performance, when he was swinging and missing a lot and seemed over anxious and really was, I think chomping at the bit a little bit too much. He really played well in, in the series finale on Wednesday. And I was really hoping that we were going to talk about that. And instead you talk about it. I said it demoralizing is the only other word I can come up with it. You get blown out in those first two games and then you lose the series finale after you had a five nothing lead early. You tie the game in the ninth inning and then you lose on a grand slam. Is is, is it worse to lose the way they did on Wednesday than to get blown out in two straight games like that? I'm, I'm having a I, I, it feels to me like it is. Yeah, well, at least if they're getting blown out, you can just turn it off and decide hey, you'll, you'll tune back in tomorrow. But with something like this, you're watching until the very end and then it hits you and it's hard to watch. Yeah, I mean, what's I'm trying to think. Was this the most demoralizing series of the season so far? Because I, the only other thing I can think of is that opening series against the Rangers, where really it was kind of a mirror image of what we saw here in LA, except the Aaron Nola five nothing lead that got blown happened in the first game of that series rather than in the last one. Yeah, I think I would still go with the Rangers series as a more more demoralizing loss, harder to watch, just because we're coming off a really good series. I'm still. I'm still feeling pretty good about the Phils at this point. Just excited to have Harper back. They're hovering around 500 again. And I feel I feel optimistic going forward, whereas that first season of the series really just took the wind out of my sails. Mm-hmm. Not a good way to start. Let's talk a little bit about Bryce Harper's return. Obviously, it was way faster than any of us could have ever expected. A month ago, when they started talking about how he was ready, already facing Pitt, and he was ready to hit major league pitching in mid-April. I'm thinking to myself, they are talking about him like he's coming back in mid-May. And that's that's that was my timeline. When they started talking like that, I was like, they're not saying these things with with the all-star break in mind. Like they clearly had an accelerated timetable. And you could see that on based on what Rob Thompson was saying, even as even as long ago as mid-April. Um, but even I didn't think that, you know, May 2nd would would be the day. And so I, I think we were a little concerned after the first game, you know, that there's going to be some rust and there is going to be some rust, no doubt about it. But what what are your feeling about his, his readiness after seeing him in the series finale on Wednesday? Again, three hits and two walks. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. He decided not to have a rehab assignment. Uh, I'm sure it's disappointing for the folks at Lehigh Valley who had a great <laughs> time with him last year when he was down there. Yeah, for that hot minute that he was there. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But I mean, it's Bryce Harper and, even playing at 75%, he's going to be one of the best nine hitters in this lineup. And we see that with him drawing a couple walks yes, uh, earlier today and getting those hits. And yeah, it seems like he's seems like he's ready to contribute and certainly seems like he's going to be a better designated hitter than some of the options they've been rolling out there. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited for the offense to just have somebody else who can get on base and get other guy, drive other guys in. 
Yeah, I mean, his presence in the lineup is obviously going to be huge and, and hopefully can generate some a little bit more power than what we've seen from these guys. We, they've hit some home runs and the Phillies have. They just they've all been solo shots and two run shots. I think I saw that they've hit only two home runs this year with at least two men on base, like which is, I think, second fewest in Major League Baseball. Um, like they have two three run home runs and no grand slams so far this year. So they're getting a lot of solo shots, a lot of two run shots, and, and hopefully Bryce Harper can, you know, hit with some guys in front of him and, and get some of those three run shots that really are um, unbelievable for, for getting, it's talk about easy runs. You know, that seems like sometimes this team really, it takes a lot for them to get three runs on the board because of all the singles and doubles they, they have to group together in order to do that. And that's what we saw in the game on Wednesday when they, when they had that four run inning and then really failed to put anything else together the rest of the game. And with a game like Wednesday, there's so many different ways to look at this. I mean, the defense really let them down. Uh, the 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 tying and, and go ahead runs in the eighth in the eighth inning came came about because Edmundo Sosa missed a line drive. But Nick uh, Nick Castellanos misplayed a fly ball. Um, you talked about Bryce Harper being a better DH than a lot of the guys that they had at their disposal. Well, Kyle Schwarber's been DHing for most of the season. He's now out in left field, and we're seeing that he's not looking very mobile out there in left field. And so the defense is going to take a hit out there without Jake Cave and, and whoever else they had out there in left. So some of the ripple effects of, of Bryce Harper here and the defense that we saw uh, in, in on display on Wednesday, level of concern with that. Yeah, I mean, I think this was a tough loss to be for me to feel too concerned about because some of the major reasons we lost were Jose Alvarado not looking too sharp, uh, Edmundo Sosa loving some plays, and those are guys who I feel are usually pretty darn dependable. Mm-hmm. And some sometimes those guys just aren't gonna be aren't gonna be perfect and we can't be counting on them to be perfect all the time. And then yeah. the other side of the coin, you have guys like Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber who are never very dependable in the mm-hmm. outfield and it feels a little too hard to blame them. Either because, well, they just are who they are in the outfield. And I, I guess that is it is a small downside to Harper coming back that I really haven't been thinking about much is that you did get a bit of a defensive upgrade with Schwerber DHing, and now they're going to have to go back to being the famously bad Phillies <laughs> outfield. That Corner outfielders, yeah. Kept hearing people complain about uh, yeah. last season. I mean, Castellanos has been better out in right field, I think, this year. He, he stole a home run the other night, and, you know, he's had made some of those sliding catches. So, I mean, I'm not as worried about Castellanos in right field. He he looks a little bit rejuvenated. Schwarber in left field is a little bit of a concern. And I got to say, as well as Brandon Marsh is hitting, and I'm, I'm certainly not going to poo-poo Brandon Marsh in his performance this year, his defense has been hit or miss out in center field a, a little bit so far this season. Was expecting a little bit more high-end defense. He's made some mistakes, but again, not going to kill the guy for it. What this team is designed to do is score runs and and get good starting pitching they're scoring some runs it's a little uneven the starting pitching has really been a problem so far leo i mean i think the last time around we saw nola and wheeler have really good back-to-back games and it felt like it was the first time we'd seen that in a in a long while where both those guys had really good games and the phillies won both of those games and here on wednesday nola gets a five nothing lead like i mentioned it's the second time this year they couldn't hold a five nothing aaron nola lead bryce harper after the game essentially said that can't happen we we can't allow that to happen your thoughts on the starting rotation so far it's not performing to the level that we were expecting coming into the season yeah i mean i think the zach wheeler to me has looked a lot better since i think i think he had a 
but it took him a little while to get into the swing of things. But to me, Wheeler has looked really fantastic his last few starts. And that's really, really good to see that he seems to be healthy and not fatigued from the deep playoff run last season. But Nola has been concerning to me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, he's still, I mean, even when Nola isn't sharp or at his best, he's still a competent, capable starting pitcher. Then uh, at the other end of the spectrum, you have Falter and Walker who have uh, to just are not, have not been the kind of guys you want to run out if you have real playoff aspirations. So yeah. I think it's good, good that Wheeler is still an ace and I'm looking forward to watching him this next time out. But I'm, I'm starting to get concerned about Nola and Walker, and I have my fingers crossed that Falter isn't in the rotation for much longer. Yeah, I mean, I think with Nola, the, the concern is the velocity drop, and it doesn't seem like there is an injury. What I'm seeing from Nola reminds me a lot of 2009 Cole Hamels, and I think part of that was because Nola pitched more last year than he ever had, went deep into the offseason, and he just doesn't seem to have that juice in his arm. It was kind of what Zach Wheeler was dealing with last year, where he was about a mile an hour shy of where he normally is, one or two miles an hour shy of where he normally is. But he was, Nola in the game on Wednesday was 89 to 91. That is, that is, unless you are painting the corners, you're not going to get a whole lot of major league hitters out that way. And he gave up, you know, he had a couple balls in the middle of the plate that guys smoked, and that's going to happen on a 91 mile an hour fastball. That's right over the plate. Still six and a third innings, seven hits allowed, four runs, five strikeouts, no walks. It's an oak. It's a decent start. But it's not a start that really you want, you know, out of your co-ace, you know, especially on a day when you, you got a 5 nothing lead and you really needed a stopper to kind of stop the bleeding. He didn't do that here in this game. And I'm, I'm not the harshest Nola guy in the world, but they were really looking for him to be a stopper today. And you get a 5 nothing lead and he just, he didn't blow the lead entirely, but leaving 5-4 or leaving when you're up 5-3 and then it, the inherited runner scores and it's 5-4, to four, just not doing your job in that spot. Well, one thing I noticed about Nola today is that he was throwing more curveballs than fastballs. He's throwing mm. a ton of curves, and his curve still looks really good and was getting yeah. a lot of swings and misses. And I just I don't know whether I should feel optimistic that he's trying to find a way to adjust to his declining velocity, or whether I should feel worried that this is a sign that he doesn't think the velocity is coming back this season, and he's trying to compensate. And we saw that it worked when he was throwing the curveball, but the fastballs were still getting smoked a bit too much. I, yeah. Uh, and with someone like Nola, one part of me wants to just say it's been a month and he's been so dependable for the Phillies for years that it's really not worth worrying too much about one month where he doesn't look his best. But on the other hand, the velocity drop is not something that I remember seeing from him before in other bad months. And, I mean, by certain numbers, this is one of the worst months that he's ever had. I was, I know uh, by the by the metric X fit, mm-hmm. this April was the worst month of his career, uh, and we've seen Nola have some bad months, and so this that was a little concerning to me for sure. Well, this that's because the strikeouts are way down. Like he's normally he, he's normally like a 
uh, you know, a, a nine strikeouts per nine inning guy, you know, a little over a little over nine strikeouts. Per, like he's usually striking out at least a batter per nine innings. And I think it's down like five strikeouts per nine. Like it's he's way down this year. Now, today was a little bit better, five strikeouts, but it's still seven and a third innings. He's usually or six and a third innings. He's usually better than that. And that's where the that's where the FIP numbers are really hurting him. The XFIP numbers are really hurting him. He's just not getting guys to swing and miss. And so that's always been a big thing for him is to be able to do that. I don't mind diminished velocity if he's going to have elite command, but he's had good command his last couple of starts. I wouldn't say it's been elite command, and that's what you need if you're throwing 89 to 91. You wrote about Matt Strom this week, and I want to talk about Matt Strom because we've talked about him a lot here on the podcast the last couple of times out. Didn't have a great start in the series opener here. His worst start of the season, but it's hard to it's hard to rail on him for that because he has been so unexpectedly good and productive in the starting rotation. And it sounds like when Ranger Suarez comes back, he's going back to the bullpen. I think the only rationale for that is that they're concerned about how few innings he's pitched over the last three years. But um, I, I hate to I hate to send a guy who's been this good in starting rotation to the bullpen. What are your thoughts on Matt Strom early start to the season? And do you think he could stick in the starting rotation? Is there a way to make that work? Yeah, he's been so unexpectedly great to start the season. And it's been really nice to have someone like that because we've had Walker who has been unexpectedly disappointing and we're missing Suarez. I would really, really like to see Matt Strom stick around in the rotation based on the way he's pitching, even if he's the kind of guy that they only ever let go through the order two times, even if his pitch count is always capped at something like 80. Because uh, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I'm just not, I'm not sold on Bailey Falter as an option for much longer. Yeah. Of course, you got to give Walker a longer leash because he has a track record of being a really solid number three, four type pitcher. But because he hasn't been so sharp lately, you really can't afford to be given starts to Walker and Falter back to back days. So yeah. I would love them to find a way to keep Strom in the rotation, but I think Rob Thompson and Caleb Cotham, they know the situation that they have with Falter and Walker, and if they're still insistent that Strom needs to go back to the bullpen, I think we probably have to trust that he's just not going to be capable of lasting for a full season as a starting pitcher, which I find disappointing, but I, I am willing to trust that, I mean, he threw, he, he had a short season last year, I think. Yeah. He only threw 40 something innings and he was yep. injured all the year before. So ramping him up to a full starters workload. I understand why you don't want to do that. And the other thing I wrote about uh, about Strom is that the way he's succeeding so far really seems to be all about pitch sequencing and finding the right pitch to throw at the right moment. And that is something that teams can figure out the more they're exposed to him and the more that he pitches. And so I, I think, I think it was uh, in Corey Seidman was the one who tweeted about this, that the Phillies feel like Strom can be a really dominant relief weapon. Mm-hmm. And that tells me that hopefully they have a plan to kind of use his pitch sequencing skills uh, in short bursts so that opposing teams can't kind of figure out what Strom yeah. has going. And if he can really be a dominant uh high leverage reliever, then yeah, I mean, better than risking his health by keeping him in the rotation for too long. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and I think that's what it is. I think, and I know they'll they'll say that you know they see him as kind of like you know Andrew Miller a couple of years ago had that insane season. I think it was for the for Cleveland at that point. I forget exactly who it was he was with, but um, where he was like a two inning guy. Uh, just mowing people down and how unbelievably insane of a weapon that was. That being said, if you've got a guy who's great in the starting rotation and you can keep him in the rotation, generally speaking, you keep him in the rotation. But I do think the workload is something that they're concerned about with Strom and just understanding that they got him to be a multi-inning reliever. The bullpen's good. I mean, the bullpen up until this this series has been outstanding. And I think with this series, you just have to flush it. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to leave a bad taste, but... Uh, Everything that could have gone wrong in this series <laughs> went wrong in this series. And sometimes you get those. It's just disappointing. You know, you take two out of three against Houston. You got up two games over 500. You'd won four series in a row. And um, it looked like they were going to sneak out of there. And sometimes, at, you know, on a, on a getaway game, after you've lost two games really badly, if you can get that getaway game, you can at least hit the airplane feeling pretty good about yourself. And you get the total opposite end of that spectrum. The team has just got to be crushed coming home. It's not going to, I'm sure it was not a fun plane ride uh, back to Philadelphia, but uh, they'll take on a Red Sox team this weekend uh, that's been struggling a little bit. Um, let's just real quickly look around uh, the National League a little bit here, because I know you cover everything for, for fan graphs. And uh, the Pirates, the story of the Pittsburgh Pirates here through the first month of the season has been unbelievable, tied with the Braves for best record coming into play on Wednesday, uh, best record in the National League. Are they for real? Is there any way they keep this up throughout the course of the season, at least maybe not as the division leader, but as a wildcard team? Well, we're at the point where even if they don't keep up this level, this level of play, they're still a serious contender after going like 20 and 10 over the first 30 games of the season. Because uh, the NL Central is not the strongest of divisions. Yeah. And the NL wildcard race is pretty wide open at this point with teams like the Phillies and the Cardinals and the Padres struggling. So I, I was kind of, I was crunching the numbers a little bit and the pirates could go below 500 for the rest of the way and still in theory, make the playoffs. I think they could, if they go a game below 500, they'll hit 85 wins. Hmm. And that, that could be enough for the third wild card yeah. spot or the NL central. And I'm, I'm not sold that the pirates are, a great team. They've got a lot of guys who seem to be overperforming. I, uh, a couple former fills. It's really nice to see Andrew McCutcheon hitting so well, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sold that he's going to be a middle of the order hitter for the rest of the year. Right. Uh, after what we saw from him at the, in his last year with the Phillies and last year with the Brewers. Uh, the other guy who's been really good for the pirates that I'm not willing to believe is Vince Velasquez. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I, I cannot see him continuing to win ball games for them. I think that uh, I think the Pirates have a lot of really exciting, talented young players. I really like Jack Sawinski. He's been hitting really well. Cabrian Hayes plays terrific defense, which just gives him a really great floor, even if his bat is only so-so, which it has been. But yeah, this isn't a team that has the depth to or the high-end talent to convince me that they're going to be a 90-win team going forward. Looking at the American League, right now, all four American League East teams would be in the playoffs 
if the season ended today. The 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 Rays at twenty five and six would win the division. Uh, you have oh no all four of the five. Sorry, there's five teams in the division. So Baltimore would be the top wild card at twenty and ten. So they are they're having a fantastic season. The Blue Jays are eighteen and twelve. They'd be the second wild card, and then the Red Sox. They've won four in a row. And they would they are seventeen and fourteen after play on Wednesday. They would be in that third wild card spot. The Yankees would be on the outside looking in, but they're just a half a game out. Again, it's too early in the season to really be looking at standings, but just for the sake of the conversation, the American League East, I mean, it's that's a juggernaut. And it looks like every single team in that division can make the playoffs. Who who do you think who does the odd team out? Like if 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 four of those five teams were gonna make it, who do you think would be the odd team out at this point? looking forward five months into the future? Yeah, it's a good question. And uh, a few, a couple weeks ago, I was looking at the overall stats in the American League. And I, I can't say if this is still true, but when I was looking at it, the top five teams in the AL by OPS were all in the American League East. And it was like, man, we've uh, it's a yeah. good division. And I think we've been selling the Red Sox short a little bit because they'd be competitive in the Central and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead, I think we've kind of view view them as a mediocre team when, in fact, they're just a pretty good team in the best division uh, in baseball. That being said, I think the Red Sox are the odd team out. I think the the Rays are absolutely phenomenal, and it seems like they're going to be a World Series contender and one of the best teams in baseball all year. The Blue Jays have an unbelievable lineup. Yeah. And they just what they need all of their pitchers to be consistent enough. I know they've had some ups and downs with guys like Alec Manoa and uh, Chris Bassett, but if the Blue Jays just get a decent performance out of their pitchers, that offense is going to carry them. The Yankees, it's all about health. Uh, so Aaron Judge, we have to see how long he's out for. It depends how long Stanton is out for, but they just got Harrison Bader back and. Yeah, if they get some of their pitchers back, the Yankees have on paper such a good roster that I don't see I don't see any way that the Rays, Blue Jays, and Yankees aren't all making the playoffs. And then, so you're but looking then, at it between the O's and the Red Sox at that point, yeah, yeah. And each the Orioles just need their young guys to keep playing well. Uh, I think, and they they could also use a couple more guys to step up uh, if they're going to keep it going all year long. Gunnar Henderson, I don't think has been quite as impressive as they hoped he would be. And the Red Sox, I think they're overperforming their abilities right now. But if they get some guys back who are, they have some, they have some pretty significant contributors who are injured and who their timeline is a little unclear. So if some of those guys can come back, like, I mean, Trevor Story, we still don't really have any idea of what's going on with him. Yeah, I don't that know. guy. Wow, what happened to that guy? <laughs> Jeez, I don't, I don't know about Adam Duvall's timeline, but Duvall was playing like crazy before he got injured and. Trevor Story, even if he's not, we've, I have no idea what to expect from his bat anymore, but he's a really solid defender and he just gives you a decent, capable big leaguer in the lineup. Mm-hmm. I, I think either of those teams could sneak in with a third wild card, but neither of them is a really solid postseason contender like the, jugger, the three-headed juggernaut at the top. 
Well, it's been an interesting first month of the season, to say the least. And the Phillies, of course, still, it's not going to be, you know, the Phillies, no matter how bad a series they might have, they are still in in the playoff hunt. They will be throughout the entire season. And I've had to learn to stop hyperventilating when they fall six games behind the Braves because the division doesn't mean everything like I I want it to mean. And so um, hopefully they'll be able to right the ship in Boston, against Boston in Philadelphia this weekend. Folks, make sure you're reading everything uh, Leo Morgenstern is doing over at Fangraphs. Fantastic writing over there. And also check out his website, Just Baseball. Uh, you're the editor of that. Uh, so, Leo, what is that website about? Yeah, it's a relatively new website. It's kind of all in, all-encompassing all general baseball. So we have writers for most of the teams. And we uh, it's mostly a lot of analysis of individual players or interesting stories going on in the game right now. And I'm one of a great group of editors over there. And uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun writing for them. Well, make sure and to check... Editing. I'm sorry, I was going to say, make sure to check him out at Morgan Stern MLB, and you can uh, find all his work right there. Leo, thanks for coming on Hitting Season, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. All right, well, as we wrap up the podcast, I want to just run over the April award winners for Major League Baseball, the Players of the Month for April. The honors in the National League go to our nemesis, Ronald Acuna Jr. of the Atlanta Braves. He is Right now, the the leader in the clubhouse very early on in the season for National League MVP, but he has been absolutely dynamite for a Braves team that just continues to roll right along. In the American League, a surprise, Matt Chapman of the Toronto Blue Jays is the American League Player of the Month, and he leads uh, all American League players in wins above replacement. So he is having a great start to his season. Pitchers of the Month, here's a surprise. In the National League, Clayton Kershaw is absolutely dominating here in the first month of the season. I think a couple of years ago, we were thinking maybe this guy's washed, you know, the back problems, and he wasn't as effective as he has been. He is dominating so far here in the early going. First month of the season, Clayton Kershaw, the National League Pitcher of the Month. In the American League, Garrett Cole of the New York Yankees. The Phillies saw him very early in the season, and he certainly did not disappoint. (laughs) He looked really, really good. Uh, Your rookies of the month for April, James Altman of the Dodgers. We saw how tough he is here in this series against L.A. And Josh Jung of the Texas Rangers in the American League. Reliever of the month in the American League, it's Bautista of Baltimore. In the National League, Josh Hader for the San Diego Padres. Hader over Alvarado. You look at the numbers, Alvarado, you could argue in April, I think, had a better had a better um, month. They both had the same FWAR, 0.7. Alvarado's ERA was slightly higher at 0.73, but when you look at fielding independent pitching, when you look at the strikeout-to-walk ratio, Alvarado had the better month. I will say, however, David Bednar of the Pirates had a 0.9 FWAR, which was top among all relievers in baseball, and a lower ERA than Alvarado at 0.69. You could argue Bednar should have been the guy, but We're not going to quibble over these things. I'm going to say Jose Alvarado because he's a Philly, and that's what we do here on this podcast. We we pump our own guys up when it's when it's deserved. All right, time for your stat of the week, and this again comes from our good fight stat stat guru named Schmenkman. Cody Clemens pitched in both of the games against the Dodgers on Monday and Tuesday. A position player pitching in back-to-back games. He became the first position player to pitch on back-to-back days this year. He's also the third to do it in the last 60 years, with the other two coming last year. Hanser Alberto did it twice, and Luis Gonzalez did it once before that. The last player to do that was Granny Hamner, 
with the Kansas City A's in 1962. So the position player pitching thing is starting to become way more normal than it should be. Um, Cody Clemens, I thought I'd never heard of any position player ever doing this, but apparently it was done twice last year because major league managers have decided that position players pitching is uh, just going to be a strategy that we use now when, when games are out of reach. And, you know, I guess with, with bullpens being the way they are, relievers arms being the way they are, as long as you're not going to damage Cody Clemens and his daddy was Roger. So there's obviously some things Cody picked up maybe in the DNA uh, that allowed him to be uh, more of an obvious choice maybe than Josh Harrison, who have we seen Josh Harrison at all, by the way, in, in the last few weeks? Is, he, is, is there a milk carton out with his picture on it? Haven't seen Josh Harrison play uh, in, in quite some time. Maybe he'll get into a game and, uh, and throw a couple innings at some point over the next couple of weeks. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. My thanks to Leo Morgenstern once again for coming on the show. And again, just a reminder about the Hit and Season tailgate. We really do hope to see you all out there. Again, we're going to be in the Jetro lot, lot MN, free beer from Evil Genius Beer, free hoagies from Nipotina in South Philly, and free pizza from Slice Pizzeria. Lots of good fun going on there. Again, go to my Twitter timeline, at John Stolness, and find the Eventbrite link. You can get free tickets by clicking on the big orange button. That's right there. And I also want to remind you to check out our Hit and Season Patreon. Lots of great bonus stuff going on there. That's where the dirty inning and continued success lives. Go to patreon.com slash hit and season to listen to those podcasts there. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hit and Season.